As Michigan's most powerful and influential voice for business, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce stands ready to serve you. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com to learn more now. This is Neeraj Warwick of the Detroit Free Press reporting outside St. Joseph at Banquet Center in Warren where hundreds of Ukrainian Americans are holding a protest against Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Many here spoke of loved ones that are in harm's way right now in Ukraine, and they're worried about their future. They said um, helicopters bombing, they just see stuff being blown up out of their windows. They called Putin a dictator who's threatening democracy and freedom not only in Ukraine, but around the world. Last week, Russia began an invasion of Ukraine. There's a lot that's led to this moment, but a key reason Russia has cited is that Ukraine has been inching closer to joining the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO. And Russian President Vladimir Putin opposes that. The U.S. called the move unprovoked, and along with other countries, we've responded with economic sanctions. According to the Associated Press, we're also sending Stinger missiles for Ukrainian use. But even with everything happening on a global stage, in Metro Detroit, With a high number of Eastern Europeans, Arab Americans, and other communities, it's felt personal. From the harm to families back home, to the plans for refugees, to reports of racism at the border, and in media coverage. Many of them are thinking about how the conflicts in Iraq uh, and the Middle East over the past 20 years have been covered. There is an an element of uh, expressing the Arab American community that maybe uh, we were treated differently. In this week's episode, we dive into what an attack thousands of miles away means on Michigan soil and why you shouldn't look away. I'm Carrie Jr. II, and this is On The Line. Can you start by introducing yourself uh, with your name and your uh, role? Hi, my name is Neeraj Wariku. I'm a reporter for the Detroit Free Press. Uh, over the past week, I've been covering the uh, Ukrainian-American community uh, their concern about Russia's attacks. So Neeraj, in your work with the Free Press, you speak to folks in immigrant communities and folks from minority communities and people of color. So obviously this issue with Ukraine and Russia has been building for a while, but I'm curious when we really saw this turn in recent weeks, were you getting news of that from uh, other media outlets or was were you hearing things from your sources? Um, well, I think last month um, I heard that the Ukrainian-American community uh, held a prayer vigil uh, in Southfield at a Ukrainian church. Um, and that was before the invasion happened. So there was concern that tensions were building. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been in touch with local Ukrainian-Americans uh, speaking by phone, attending protests. Uh, So they've been keeping me up to speed on what's happening there. Um, I've interviewed folks who have cousins that have fled to go to bomb shelters. Um, Others are contemplating leaving. Um, One had a cousin that has already left for another country uh, to seek refuge. Um, So I've been monitoring it mainly through that end since I try to find a local angle uh, here in Metro Detroit. Uh, But of course, I have been following uh, national and international media outlets to also keep up to speed on what's happening. And could you explain the purpose behind those prayer vigils? So they were praying for peace. They wanted to help bring attention to the situation. I think at the time there wasn't uh, the public in America wasn't as aware of it as much um, as they are now, obviously, since the attacks happened. 
Um, and they were wanting to bring, tell folks, and they're especially to elected officials, hey, this is an issue. And they did have the support from uh, local government leaders. Does Michigan have a large Ukrainian population? Yeah, the state of Michigan has a sizable Eastern European population. Uh, there are about 39,000 Ukrainian Americans. There are about a dozen Ukrainian churches uh, in Metro Detroit. There's a Ukrainian cultural center. Um, there's even Ukrainian uh, financial institutions like credit unions. There's a couple of them. So the community here is is, is pretty substantial. It's uh, advocates say it's one of the largest and most active uh, in America. I mean, Chicago has a bigger one in terms of numbers, but it's still pretty big here in Michigan. Uh, in addition to that, there are 65,000 Russian Americans. Uh, this is according to 2019 census data. In addition to that, there are other people uh, of Eastern European heritage. Um, the Polish American community in Michigan is, is very big, uh, more than 800,000 people. Uh, there's also Lithuanian and Est- Estonian communities. Um, and that's important because uh, they are close to Russia in terms of their geography. So they're also concerned about Russian attacks. Um, and at the rallies, we've been seeing there are not just Ukrainians there. There are also people from other parts of Eastern Europe. And I would add, even some in the Russian-American community have been supportive of the U- of Ukraine. I interviewed a woman who's of Russian descent that attended the pro-Ukraine rally in Warren a couple of days ago. And she wanted to show her support to Ukraine and say that, you know, Vladimir Putin does not speak for me. Yeah, yeah, those those rallies. That's perfect. I want to I want to go to those rallies and get a little bit more specific about your experience there, um, because that obviously was a response to the initial invasion from Russia. Can you just take us to that moment real quick? Sure. Uh, well, there have been about five rallies so far across Metro Detroit uh, in support of Ukraine in recent weeks. Uh, most recently, there was one in downtown Detroit. Uh, that media report said attracted more than 1,000 uh, people. There was one a few days ago in Warren that attracted hundreds. Um, people were waving the Ukraine flag. Um, the mayor of Warren, uh, Fouts, spoke at that rally. Uh, and so they wanted to show a message that uh, they're standing strong in solidarity. Uh, and they also wanted to call upon the government to enact tough sanctions. And in, in your attendance in the, the rally in Warren, can you tell us a little about what the feeling was uh, that day? Take us there if you could. Sure. It was a cold day, you know, a cold Michigan winter day. Um, but despite that fact, there was a substantial crowd. People uh, were waving uh, Ukraine flags. It was held outside a Ukrainian Catholic church. Um, so at the rally, there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of worry, a lot of fear. I spoke to two sisters from Clinton Township. Catherine and Victoria put up and go. You were telling me you have some family in Kiev? Or, yes. And how do you, what, what are they saying? Or are you worried about them? Or? Um, yes, we're very worried about them. However, what they're saying is that they've been anticipating this since 2013, since the Eudemidon crisis. So ever since that's happened, we've been anticipating this. We're so they're up ready. our army and they've been ready. Our men are ready. And they're, they we're not surprised at all that this is happening. Uh, who told me about one cousin that has already fled to Hungary. We had a cousin that had to flee to Budapest, Hungary. Um, and our aunts and uncles are in bomb shelters in Kiev right now. They said um, helicopters bombing. They just see stuff being blown up out of their windows. Um, some are contemplating whether to leave or not. And so when you spoke to those two sisters, um, what, what did they say? What were their initial reactions to the invasion? They were quite upset. Um, they said that this was something that in a way was kind of expected because they said Russia has not been uh, acting in a friendly manner for years. It was a matter of will. If it would happen, it was when. 
was yeah. Win, yeah. It was win. a shock. It was a shock. Not that Russia wanted to attack. The fact this. that it was allowed to happen. It also angered them. They're really upset. They feel that he's a, an authoritarian leader, and that unless people push back against them, he's going to take even take over even more territory and affect their families and relatives uh, that live there. After the break, we delve into the uncertainty of what happens next, how other communities are grappling with the attack, and where to look if you want to help. As Michigan's leading statewide business advocacy organization, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce is on the job every day standing up for job providers in the legislative, political, and legal arenas. We are the unified voice of thousands of members who employ over one million Michiganders. We work with trade associations and local chambers of commerce of every size and kind in all 83 counties of the state. We know business in Michigan. Learn more today about how we can protect, connect, and strengthen your business. Whether that's advocating on your behalf at the Capitol, helping meet your informational training and networking needs, or boosting your bottom line visibility and voice, we're on the job for you. Make my chamber your chamber. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com, to learn more now. And we're back speaking with Free Press reporter Nirj Wabarku about his recent coverage of a rally in support of Ukraine amid an invasion by Russia. So, Neeraj, the sisters you spoke with, Catherine and Victoria Potapenko, they expressed how they felt that this was uh, this invasion was expected. Was that sentiment shared by other folks at the rally? Yeah, that was widely shared by everyone I spoke with. Um, the, the anxiety, the uncertainty of what's going to happen next. Uh, they don't know where this invasion, how long it's going to last. Um, already, uh, the New York Times is reporting that there have been 660,000 refugees uh, so if for just a few days, that's quite a lot, but there could be even more than that in days to come. The number actually hit 1 million after we spoke. Uh, one of the speakers who happens to be a Dearborn school board member was there, Irene Watts. She's of Ukrainian descent. Uh, and she was talking about her ancestors uh, faced the uh, role of Nazis. Uh, others faced the role of how to deal with communists. Uh, and so they managed to survive that. And they're saying that they're determined and that they will survive this. But at the same time, they're asking for help from the United States. They need the support of other countries uh, in order to deal with Russia. I spoke with people um, who shared their stories of family members uh, facing danger. Um, But at the same time, they were determined. Um, A couple of the speakers talked about fundraising efforts. Um, Some are even raising, uh, trying to gather medical equipment like bandages to help the injured and help injured soldiers in Ukraine. So they're working, they're trying to work in constructive ways to help out Ukraine. How are people showing their support for, for Ukraine? Yeah, so they're, they're mobilizing in different ways. Um, some are raising money. Uh, there was a box of cash that was uh, moved around at the rally uh, to collect donations. But others are doing it mostly online. Obviously, uh, the Ukrainian Americans have a couple of groups set up. Uh, they, ha- they created an emergency committee earlier this year. Uh, to help with donations and to raise awareness. 
when I hear those two sisters talk and I've, and some other some of the other coverage uh, from Ukrainians coming out about this war, there seems to be a sense of poise to say a, a bit about the situation. Like they understand what the what the situation is. Not that there's no fear, but there's an understanding of what needs to be done to get through this and that they're not going to go down without a fight. Right. No, there is a lot of determination. I mean, in fact, whenever I spoke with them, uh, they wanted us to trust that while they're worried and anxious, they're also determined. They're saying that if we have to fight, we'll do it. Um, so, yeah, there is a sense of, you know, we're strong people. We've been through this before as Ukrainians. Did you ask folks what they thought about the U.S.'s response to the invasion and, and the sanctions? Have they spoken to that at all? Um, yeah, the Ukrainian-Americans um, have been applauding uh, the Biden administration for how they've acted. Uh, they made it a point to say that they're at the same time, they feel that the they want even tougher sanctions. Right. Um, they want more um, military assistance as well. Uh, they're they're worried that uh, Russia will able to, will be able to to not really feel any effects from the from mild sanctions and they want even tougher ones. But overall, they have been supportive of, of government officials. How have you seen people come together uh, on this situation? How are Ukrainians here supporting family back home, but also how are other communities supporting Ukrainian-Americans? Yeah, it seems to have drawn a wide amount of support from different communities. Troy and Warren uh, recently laid up their city hall in the colors blue and yellow in support. There's also uh, local cities are doing some uh, expressions of solidarity. So it's brought together a wide range of people. The the, inter, the Russian-American person I interviewed was unexpected. She had a sign that said, uh, you know, Russians in support of Ukraine. Um, so that's solidarity across ethnic lines. Uh, I should add there were representatives of the Jewish uh, community in Metro Detroit, as well as the Bangladeshi-American community. Um, since Michigan has, has such a large Eastern European population, it's especially important here because many of them remember uh, the Soviet Union uh, and the threat of Russia during the Cold War, and they see that as renewing itself today. I mean, it was even in, uh, the sister said in the tape too, you know, the Cold War never ended for us. The Cold War never ended from our perspective. It's always just been aggression and trying to reclaim Ukraine. And now we think that Putin has found a vulnerable place in history where he can do that, so. Speaking to Eastern European families again, uh, how are Polish Americans feeling? They're a neighboring country. Can you speak to their sentiments on, about this situation? Yeah, the Polish American community here is quite big. Um, in terms of percentage of the population, it's the second biggest uh, among all 50 states, only after Wisconsin. Um, and they have dealt a lot over the decades with the threat of Russia. Um, so they're expressing their support and, and solidarity. Our region is a pretty diverse as you said, uh, there's an Eastern European population, but there's also a considerable Middle Eastern population. And the coverage, the media coverage of this invasion compared to that of Middle Eastern conflicts has been a topic of discussion. Could you talk about that? Kerry, that's a good point. And that's been an issue that's been talked about a lot in recent days. Uh, what some say is a sort of the double standards and some of the media coverage uh, in terms of how they cover this versus how they cover uh, conflicts and the Middle East or in the non-Western world. Um, there's also been the issue of some of the refugees fleeing who are not white uh, and are being mistreated according to uh, media reports. Um, and so, as you may know, Michigan has a sizable Arab American community. We have the highest percentage of residents of Middle Eastern descent among all the 50 states, according to the census data. And so many of them are thinking about how the conflicts in Iraq 
uh, in the Middle East over the past 20 years have been covered. Um, and there's some of them are making the argument that the, the coverage here has been a little bit more sort of sympathetic uh, in terms of um, them. Maybe that's partly rooted in, in race or ethnicity or religion. Um, so that's a factor. At the same time, you know, they are supportive in that, um, you know, you have seen people in the in the minority communities expressing solidarity with Ukraine. But at the same time, there is an, under, an element of uh, expressing the Arab American community that maybe uh, it w- we were treated differently uh, when, when this was all playing out with the Iraq war uh, 20 years ago. I mean, some of the language has been like really problematic. I mean, the assumption that this is something that wouldn't happen to a country like this. You know, when you said maybe the assumption of race, there were some reports where people were actually saying, you know, oh, there are these white, blue eyed, blonde haired people who have to flee now as if it didn't make sense for for people who look like that. And I just thought that was that was really my jaw dropped to hear how people were covering um, this. But um, in in response to these, what have been people been saying in response to some of the reports and how people have been covering this on top of that, even though we've acknowledged, of course, there's a problem with how it's been done. Yeah, I know that there is a group of uh, Arab American journalists uh, that put out a statement a couple of days ago, uh, raising the same points that you had mentioned and others have mentioned uh, about sort of the double standards and just, you know, the remarks such as using the word civilized, like this is an, an attack on, in a civilized area as if, you know, Iraq and, and its other places are not civilized. A slight tangent, but what's happening at the Polish-Ukraine border? Media outlets have talked about African nationals being blocked from entering Poland. Yes, that's been an issue that has come up in recent days that uh, that students and other immigrants in Ukraine who study there, uh, who are of a non-Western background uh, from countries in Africa, uh, India, Pakistan, the Arab world, uh, they've been facing a lot of challenges and in some cases discrimination uh, by border guards and others and trying to leave or trying to seek refuge. Um, you know, they've been had to stay outside in the freezing cold. Uh, in a couple of cases. Um, and I know that uh, there's been some efforts uh, in African immigrant communities to try to lend their support. There's a lot of international students there from African countries, countries in South Asia uh, and in the Arab world. Um, and in situations like this, they kind of get marginalized. You know, people don't really think about them. and um, They may not see them as fully part of the community. Uh, and so in situations like this, they have to deal with uh, racism. But yeah, that's been, a, that's been a big issue. I know online there was a hashtag, I think it was called Africans in Ukraine, that brought a lot of attention to uh, their plight. Why is it necessary that we continue to discuss the impact on families here? Why does this need to be talked about? Yeah, I think, well, you know, Michigan, it's unique population of uh, ethnic uh, Eastern Europeans. It's such a big community here. And so it's a big part of the culture. Uh, it's when Russia launches a major attack. Uh, to its west, uh, it affects a lot of people, you know, both directly in terms of family ties, uh, but also in terms of cultural ties, emotional ties. Even if they're second generation or third generation, it's something they still feel uh, connected to uh, in places like Michigan. Um, but aside from that, you know, they do make the art. Like, for example, I asked the two sisters this specifically. I said, you know, what are the broader implications of this? And they said, you know, if you don't stop this person now, it could have effects in terms of other parts of the world. Um, and they see it as a battle of democracy uh, versus authoritarianism. What's next with your coverage on this? What does your future coverage look like? Uh, well, we're hopefully we're going to keep telling the stories of uh, people in Metro Detroit 
who have loved ones in harm's way. Um, it, we're probably going to hear some worse stories in coming weeks, unfortunately. Um, you know, they, some of them have already fled, but in some cases there may have been injuries or even worse, uh, hoping it, that doesn't happen. But that's something we're going to keep, keep an eye out for. Um, also going to keep uh, a look at how it's going to play out uh, politically. Um, if the senators or congressmen here get more involved, uh, Andy Levin has been pretty outspoken on this issue, but mainly the human stories, um, what's affecting people in this region is something we're going to uh, keep a focus on. Well, Neeraj Waraku, thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon to talk with us. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Check out our show notes to find ways you can support the Ukrainian people who have been impacted. There you'll find donation sites and a list of food and drink spots in the Metro Detroit area that are seeking to help. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran with help from Tad Davis. Anjanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers and Peter Batia is our editor. The music for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thanks for listening. Please rate the show, like the show, subscribe to the show if you enjoyed what you heard, and share it. We really appreciate it. See you next week.